I appreciate the men that were serving this morning and appreciate all the thoughts and the words and the prayers and the songs. We've had a, a wonderful service so far. I hope I can keep up my end of the bargain as we go forward uh, in this morning's service. Back to basics, and really back to Bible basics. That's the theme uh, that we have put forth for the summer and feel that the summertime is usually a good time that we can get back to understanding the fundamentals of the faith. A few weeks ago, we started this series of lessons. We began with, with baptism. And it took us three weeks to get through that. Uh, we're, today, we're talking about the church. And it will probably take us about the same time to get through with that subject. So uh, as we consider the idea of the Lord's church, can't help but think from Matthew chapter 16, where the Bible tells us that uh, when Jesus had entered the region of Caesarea Philippi, he came to his disciples and asked, Who do men say that I am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or another prophet. And Jesus turned to them and said, but who do you guys, who do all of you guys standing here, who do you say that I am? And then we could think and picture in our minds a guy by the name of Peter who would stand up and forcefully proclaim these loving words. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then of course, Jesus responded by saying, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. In other words, flesh and blood, no human being has taught you that, but my heavenly Father. And of course, the heavenly Father through Christ. And then Jesus turns and he says to Peter, Peter, you are Peter. You are a rock. And upon this rock, so let's go back. He says, Peter, you are a Petros, masculine, rock. And then he goes, but or and on this rock, Petra, which is feminine. So there are two different words. And he's not building his church upon Peter, but upon this Petra, this rock. And that is what Peter had just offered when he said through a confessional statement before him and before the other 11 apostles. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Based upon that, Peter, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I shall give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. But you want to focus upon what Jesus said there. He said, I will build my church. So at the present time, before the cross, Jesus said, I will build my church. Future tense. 
which means the church had yet to be established based upon that information. So we understand from our previous discussions from three weeks ago concerning baptism that the church itself was established on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Remember, in this very statement, Jesus says that I shall give you the keys of the kingdom. Well, he just got done saying, I will build my church, and then I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And so he's saying in what we would say is a parallelism or something that is synonymous with each other. Two different words, but being synonymous with one another. The church and the kingdom. And so in Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, Jesus also tells his apostles standing there, he says, there will be some standing here who are standing here today who will not die till they see the kingdom come with power. Till they see the church come with power. And that's exactly what happened. On the day of Pentecost, the power came. And when the power came, the kingdom came. And entrance, the keys to the kingdom, were given by the apostles. And we have recorded for us Peter's sermon. So Peter took the keys, unlocked the door, and said, Enter in! And on that day, 3,000 souls were added to the church. Now, of course, there were probably some half a million people in the city of Jerusalem at that time for Pentecost. And out of that number, only 3,000 souls. So there's a lot of people, as we look at that number, there's a lot of people like that in the world today. We have the Bible, we have the words of Christ, we have the apostles' teachings, we have all of this, and yet people don't respond to Jesus Christ. And so it was then, it is today. Things have yet to change. There's nothing new under the sun. Men and women will reject the truth, and they will reject the Messiah, Along with that, they'll reject the church, the body for which Jesus Christ died for. Now, as we consider more about the church, when he said, I will build my church, future tense, how did Jesus build his church? We don't have any records of Jesus going about building a church, physically or spiritually. But he did so through his apostles. Remember, he said, you shall go into all the world and preach the gospel. So therefore, by the gospel and by the preaching of that message and by souls who submit to that message and put Jesus Christ on in baptism, the Lord adds them to the church in Acts 2.41 and Acts 2.47. The Lord does the adding to the church. And when that is accomplished, they're a part of the Lord's kingdom, part of the Lord's church, part of the family of God. And, uh, and so we find here how that happens. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says that we are all baptized into one body. Right? But in Acts 2.47, it says that those who were being saved were being added to the church by the Lord himself. And so... The Lord adds those who are baptized 
into the body, into the kingdom. And that's exactly how that works. So as we consider more of what church is all about, I want us to consider uh, (laughs) here we go. I want us to consider the idea of Church of Christ for just a second. I don't know if that is showing up. It's not showing up. Bear with me. We're having technical difficulties here. There we go. Church of Christ. So the Church of Christ. What we're talking about is a word from the Greek. The Greek word is ecclesia of Christ. The ecclesia of Christ. Literally, it's made up of two words. And brother, I don't know if you can get to the next, if I'm having problems up here or not. Bear with me another minute till we get this right. Oh, there it is. Okay. Well, this thing's off and he's on. <laughs> so there it is, ecclesia. Ek, klasia. Ek, is the word which means out from. Out from. And kaleo, where we get klasia from, klasia is the form of kaleo, and kaleo means to call, to call. And so it's in the masculine and it's in the plural, and it says the called out ones, the called out from ones. Called out from what? Called out from the world. Called by the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. We are all called by the gospel. That's how Jesus Christ saves. That's how Jesus Christ adds saved souls to the church. And so he's building his church. I will build. Right? And someone will say, well, if he says he will build, wouldn't that be at some point established? There wouldn't be any more ongoing building? No. Because in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, it tells us that it will continue being fitted out. And so therefore, brick by brick, each soul saved, if you will, is a brick of the congregation. And so every time a soul is saved, another brick is added to the kingdom, is added to the church, Added to the building. The building of God. That's metaphorical, not literally. All right? We meet in a building, right? But the building is not the church. The church meets in a building. There lies the difference. And so there's a a difference in understanding. And so, literally, the called out ones. Called out from the world, but called to something. And over the years, the word ascribed to that word, the Greek word ekklesia, has been assembly or congregation. And so we are called out from the world and into the assembly of Christ. Church of Christ. Kingdom of Christ. Body of Christ. The way of Christ. Christ. We go on and on, but all of it is a possessive case. Christ 
possession. That's the idea of the word of. Assembly of. It's Christ's assembly. All right, brother. You're going to have to do this for me. So we have the assembly of Christ, the congregation of Christ, followers of Christ, people of Christ. It's all under the auspices of church of Christ. Now, I believe the word, the English word church, is not a very good rendering of the word because the word actually means assembly or congregation. Church comes from the word kirk or kurion in the Greek, and that simply means belonging to or of the Lord, right? Of the Lord, of Christ, belonging to Christ. But, uh, but ecclesia itself means the called out ones, the assembly of Christ. So therein lies the understanding of the word church. When you think of church, it's not the building, it's not the location, it's the people. So when we say I'm going to church today, most people have in mind I'm going to that building that's up the road. Well, we can say I'm going to church, I'm going to assembly. Well, what's the assembly? It's the assembling of each constituent part. Each person, each member comes together, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, also in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, beginning about verse 28, where he says, when we come together in one place, in one place, and so the place is where we assemble. But the assembling, or the assembly itself, is of the people. And so we need to consider all of that as we consider the idea of church. A lot of people uh, think about a church as, well, that's the, that church over there because out, out, uh, out in front of their building is a sign that says St. Paul's Church. And over here there's a sign out front of this church building over here and that says the so-and-so Baptist Church. And this one over here says so-and-so Methodist Church. All right? But you can't find that in the Bible. You can't read those designations at all in the Bible. But what we do find are churches of Christ, church of God, and uh, other appellations that could be used to address those things. But it's talking about possession. It's a people who are owned by the Lord, by God. That's the church of Christ. Christ's church, as we'll see for the next slide. Christ's church, Christ's congregation, Christ's followers, Christ's people. Whenever we find the little word of, we understand that means possession. And so all of these phrases are in the possessive case. And so the possessive case means the church belonging to Christ. Christ's church. Church of Christ equals Christ's church. Uh, congregation of Christ equals Christ's congregation. The followers of Christ, Christ's followers, and so forth. Christ's people. And so when we come across these des designations in God's word, you're going to find 
often, about 99% of the time, that that's the case. When it's in the possessive case, we understand it's talking about the possession of something. And so I might add this, and we'll study this a little bit further, some other point, some other time, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit, gift of God, gift of Christ. Every time you read those expressions, it's talking about possession. And therefore, the gift of God would be God's gift. The gift of Christ would be Christ's gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit's gift. That's the idea. Uh, I think sometimes we've made it too difficult in many cases when we're dealing with the language, whether it be Greek or English. But either case, or either way, there's a, a possessive case in each of those languages. And we need to understand those things. And now on to the next slide. Church of Christ, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which, he continues, is his body. Oh, so we have the word church and we have the word body and they're synonymous with one another. They're equivalent with one another. They're parallel with one another. The church is the body, the body is the church. And now when Jesus said, and I will build my church. What was he saying? I will build my body. I will build my ecclesia. I will build my people. I will build my assembly. I will build my congregation. So these are the, the words that we need to understand. And understand them because they're significant. As they apply to the idea of ecclesia. The called out ones. And uh, the next slide. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body. How many bodies are there? One. Now think about that. How many churches are there today? Innumerable. I don't think we can count them all. I mean, we have, even in the Lord's church, even in the Lord's church, we have many factions and divisions. And so there's splinter after splinter after splinter. Same thing with all the other places, all the other people, all the other churches. We call them denominations because they're divisions of what was established, of what we read about in the Bible on the day of Pentecost. And so there's splinter after splinter, division after division when it comes to Christianity and Christendom. So there's one body being many members. He says, for by one spirit we're all baptized into one body. For in fact the body is not one member but many. Now you are the body of Christ. You all are the body of Christ which means you all are the church of Christ and members individual. Next slide, please. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father who of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. So we find here these seven ones. We call them the seven ones of unity. They've been labeled that throughout the centuries. He's, the seven ones of unity call for oneness. We must understand as followers of Christ, as the assembly of Christ, the church of Christ, the body of Christ, whatever appellation you want to put on it, there's one body. So when Jesus says, I will build my church, he never said churches. He said, I will build my church. I will build my body, my assembly. Paul here reiterates that fact by saying there's one body. And then he says there's one spirit. And there's one hope of your calling. One Lord. One, and actually there's a, a definite article there before the word faith. So literally it's one the faith. Remember what uh, Jude told us in Jude 3, contend earnestly for the faith. He's talking about God's word. Continue in the faith, Paul says on several occasions. A multitude of priests became obedient to the faith, the word of God. Just another name for the gospel, the word of God, the new covenant, so forth and so on. There's one. One of that. So that means there's one body of teaching that's supposed to regulate, direct, and influence the assembly of Christ. The gospel. The word. The faith. That we are to continue in. And of course he says there's one baptism. Not two. A lot of denominations today preach two. One is first baptized in the Holy Spirit and then one is baptized in water. Not for the forgiveness of sins, but to be added to the church. When one is baptized in the Holy Spirit, they're saved. And then they're baptized, uh, baptized in water to be added to the church. But you don't read about that in the Bible. And we find here that there's one baptism, and that's what Paul's referring to. The water baptism that Jesus spoke of in the Great Commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. In other words, you baptize. You who are teaching, you are baptizing. And you're making disciples that way. When it comes to Holy Spirit baptism, we're told in Matthew chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, and in Mark's account in Mark chapter 1, that Jesus is the one that baptizes in the Holy Spirit. But the commandment given for the Great Commission is that those who teach, those who instruct, they are to baptize. That's the one baptism to which Paul is referring. And there's only one of baptism. One God and Father. So we have the Trinity mentioned there. So we understand we must believe in the Spirit, in the Son, and in the Father. And we must believe that there's one body of doctrine that guides us. That we, that we willingly submit ourselves to. And that's the only doctrine that matters when it comes to the work and worship of the church. And so uh, we have the idea here that the one body is controlled by Jesus through the one word, the one faith. 
Next slide. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Here he's talking to his disciples, his apostles. And he just got done praying for himself. And now he's praying for his apostles. Because Jesus is going to the cross, going to die. And then he's going to ascend back to the Father to be with him. So he says, sanctify them, Father, by thy word, your word. And your word is truth. The truth is the word, and the word is the truth. He says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them, the apostles, into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now, he's praying for you and me. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is the real Lord's Prayer. The one that he gives to the apostles is simply a model prayer. It's a teaching prayer. But this is the Lord's Prayer. He says, I do not pray for these alone. I'm not praying for my apostles only. But, he says, also for those who will believe in me. How? Through their word. Through their teaching. Go into all the world and what? Preach. The gospel through their teaching. That's how Jesus saves. When the Bible tells us that Jesus came into the world to seek and save the lost, that's what he's referring to. He's relying upon our work. Each of us. We have a responsibility being the assembly of Christ to do the work that we've all been appointed to. And therefore, it is up to us to save souls. Thereby Jesus saves souls. But if we're not saving souls. How is Jesus saving souls? That's why the gospel needs to be preached. And it needs to be preached. And unity. A lot of people preach unity at all costs. As if unity is the most important thing. But Jesus says unity through their word. The word Stands out. The word is what controls us. It's what guides us. It's what directs us. And it's what, it's what influences us. The word. Next slide. This is not the church. Next slide. This is the people. The people meet in the building. So the church meets in the building. The church meets at a place. The assembly meets at a place. Next slide. Now we're talking about the bride of Christ. Because the ecclesia is referred to as the bride of Christ in several passages. Here we just want to bring to your uh, forethoughts here about what is said in the Old Testament. Here Jeremiah tells us, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness and in a land not sown. He's using marriage language there, even in the Old Testament, with his own people. Next slide. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One. They were married to their Redeemer, their God. How? Circumcision. Right? Right? Circumcision. Now we extrapolate that teaching over to the New Covenant 
And we understand we too go through a marriage ceremony. We call it baptism. It's the day that you and I said, I do to Jesus Christ. Betrothed. Our husband. Why? Because we're the bride of Christ. The ecclesia of Christ. That's what we're getting at. Next slide. You shall be called by a new name. Christian. We realize that from uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, where the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Right? Now notice it says, You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. And that word called, first called Christians at Antioch, is krematizai. Krematizai means a divine calling. It's not an ordinary calling, but a divine calling. So the disciples were first called Christians, a divine calling, which Paul is, or Luke there is writing and pointing out for us, first at Antioch. This goes back to what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 62. But he continues, For the Lord delights in you. The Lord delights in you. He always has delighted in his, his people. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Marriage language. Next slide. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin. Here Paul is talking about this in his letter to the Corinthians. He's saying, this is what I've done. I've given you as a chaste virgin. Unblemished, unspotted, clean, pure. He says, but I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve, by his craftiness, so your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Next slide. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, how does one preach another Jesus? By preaching another gospel. See, Jesus came and he gave a message. It's a, a message that's stark in contrast to all other messages. And he says, that's the message you preach. For all the preachers out there in the world, we're to preach the gospel. We're to preach that message. We're not to go to the left of it, to the right of it. We're to speak just like God speaks in the gospel. The gospel is not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel is not just the red letters of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the new covenant. It's the entire teaching. It's the word of God. It's the faith. He says, if, or if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, this sounds like Galatians, doesn't it? If we or an angel preach another gospel which, has not, which, we, uh, which we have not received, let him be accursed over in Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Here he says, if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom you have not preached, or if you uh, receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul addresses that idea in Ephesians chapter 4, where he says, 
Be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So this is what he's saying. He says, I think you guys are so immature that if this information comes down the pike in a package of false teaching, I believe you're going to accept it. You're just not ready to stand up strong against such things. And so here again, referring to the bride of Christ. Next slide. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. More uh, marriage talk. More uh, wedding talk. Well, this symbolic language that the church, the church is the bride of Christ. Next slide. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Born out of water and spirit. John chapter 3. Sanctified by water and the word. Spirit delivered the word. The spirit delivered the word through men. The spirit delivered the word through Christ. And the spirit delivered the word through the apostles. Jesus himself said the words that I speak they are spirit. They are life. And so we find here that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water, baptism by the word. The word teaches us to be baptized. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. And so, as he continues, he says, he goes, I speak of a mystery. He says, I'm not really talking about husbands and wives, although I've addressed it. He says, what I'm talking about is the church. The husband and wife relationship is analogous and is a figure of speech that represents the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Why? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Right? And then it says, the church submits to Christ. Christ doesn't submit to the church, but the church submits to Christ. And he says, that's the mystery. Talking about the church. Next slide. Oh, okay. Well, we've run out of slides to the song. So we come next week, we're going to be talking about how the church and the kingdom are related. How they mean the same thing. And we'll get into another uh, word study as well concerning some other uh, synonymous words. But Jesus said, I will build my church but in order to be added to the church that we read about in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, we learn how they were added to the Lord's church, those who were being saved. Peter said this quite simply, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And so we find that remedy that Peter gives that day to the Jews. And 3,000 souls took him up on that offer. 3,000 souls that day. How about you? How about this morning? The invitation of Jesus Christ is there. He says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you've done that, perhaps maybe you've wandered away. Perhaps your faith has been weakened over time. And you just don't stand up and fight as you used to. He calls us to repentance. And if that's good for you today, and if that meets the part of the invitation for you today, why don't you come forward as together we stand and sing.